We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the Rotowire Audio Draft Kit. Here are your hosts, Peter Schenke and Chris Liss. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Football. Yahoo Fantasy Football is free to play and easy to use on desktop or on mobile with the Yahoo Fantasy Sports app. Sign up today at rotowire.com slash yahoo. Uh, this is what we're calling the Audio Fantasy Football Draft Kit Edition. I'm Roadwire President Peter Shanky, along with Managing Editor Chris Liss. And this is kind of a start your research, you buy a magazine, you look over the rankings, you go to iTunes, you download our app, or we use the website, really kind of a global level as we move into the season. And we're going to talk about just kind of overall strategy and rankings. Uh, we recorded this one on July 17, 2017. We'll, we'll do another, another one later in the summer. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, we're going to talk about cheat sheets you can, get a, you can get a trial, rotowire.com slash Twitter. Get 10, 10 free days. Check out these cheat sheets. See how they change as the preseason goes along. Liz, how's it going? We've done a couple of drafts. You've done a couple of expert drafts. You feel like you got a decent decent feel on the player pool and strategy this year? Yeah, I feel like I got a decent feel on uh, you know player pool. And uh, it's kind of a strange year. You know, I don't think there's – I don't feel like there's any one trend in strategy. I feel like it's very – just best player available to, for most people drafting these days. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've done a couple expert drafts, and yeah, same thing. I haven't really seen anyone, you know, kind of go crazy. It's not like a year where, you know, tight ends did great last year, so everyone's in tight ends or everyone's back on quarterbacks. It seems to be pretty, pretty equal, all things being equal. I kind of like it because I'm, you know, as a wide receiver first guy, and, and I rode that trend for the last decade. Um, but then, it, you know, the last few years, the wide receivers, you know, got super popular. And last year going to the drafts, in 2015, running backs that were taken in the top 15 overall average draft position, they were 0 for 7. They were all bust, right? I mean, it was just it was crazy, right? Um, and so then everyone took wide receivers last year. 10 of, the, uh, 10 of 15, top 15 in PPR, at least in some of the formats we use, like NFFC, National Fantasy Football Championship, were wide receivers. And so three wide receivers on average draft position were taken in the top five. That had never happened before. It had never been more than one. So last year, wide receiver was just crazy, and so it was hard to figure out what to do because usually I like to zig when other people zag. This year, it's a little bit more even. 
There's four wide receivers in the first round for standard leagues, probably a little bit more for PPR. Um, that's more in line after six, five, six the last three years. Usually it's like one or two or three, like the last decade. Um, so I think that's pretty good. But I think in general, I'm still a wide receiver early and often guy because even though the last year running backs bounced back a little bit, um, the trend is still down. I mean, rushing yards per game, if you look over the last 14 years, is down 10%, just, you know, goes down every year. Last year, it just went back a little bit. Rushing as percentage of the offensive, you know, overall offense each year keeps shrinking, bounced back a tiny bit last year, but it just keeps plummeting down. I mean, I think that there's, you know, pass, it's, it's a passing league. It's, it's going to keep going. And I think last year was just a little bit flipped back. And I'm almost just a little bit disappointed that there's not more people going into running backs who just, you know, looked at last year and thought running backs are gold, and now we're back to running backs again. It's not quite happening that way, but I think it could happen in drafts as we get into the preseason. I think what you're saying is that there hasn't been a fundamental change in the trend of NFL play calling or player usage that would suggest that last year's reversion to running backs being the most valuable players, and they were. In non-PPR, the top eight guys among receivers and running backs were all running backs. LeGarrette Blunt outscored Antonio Brown in non-PPR last year. That's how extreme it was. I mean, think about that. There's not a single receiver in the top eight, okay, among those two positions. Um, PPR, obviously, it changes a bit. Um, But unless there's a fundamental reason to think that there's something that changed about the NFL last year, then we would expect it to be, you know, wide receiver friendly like the last four or five years, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I've seen a little bit of drafts where people are taking – Running backs earlier, like Jordan Howard, in the in the you know early part of the first round or middle part of the first round, um, you know, kind of based on how you know get let's get some running backs. Um, but for the most part, so I think you can get some wide receivers that are more valuable later in the first round or into the second round versus last year. But if you look at the number of wide receivers being taken in like the first forty picks, it's about eighteen, and uh, that's the same as last year, and that's up from like thirteen to fifteen the previous ten years. So. You know, you're going to be able to – the wide receiver inflation has kind of recessed a little bit, but not, not crazy so. Not where, like, you know, you, you, can, you can get the great values that I think you got like five or six years ago. But at the same time, you know, you, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't wait forever on, on wide receivers because then you're just behind the eight ball the rest of the draft. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but if you wait on wide receiver, the problem is that you have mid-level wide receivers. You have a lot of Corey Coleman's, Kenny Britt's, I don't mean to pick on Brown's receivers, but – you know, just guys of that tier, even, you know, Michael Crabtree, you might get in the fourth or fifth. And the problem is if those guys go in a two or three game slump, you really don't know what to do. You'll be like, I don't know. Like they're not getting that many targets. I'll start this ran. I'll start to Sean Jackson. I'll start Ted Ginn had a touchdown last week, you know, and then you'll leave so many points on your bench. Cause you just really, it's really hard to time even good wide receivers. Really nobody knows necessarily when even AJ green is going to have a good or a bad game. But if you draft AJ green, you don't play that game. You don't get into that mental problem. You just leave him in all year, and you end up at the end of the year with his stats, and you're fine with that. The problem with getting shaky wide receivers is the lineup setting becomes really a nightmare. And it's not really the same with running backs because the running backs' roles, you know, game to game are, are more obvious. It's more clear before the game starts, you know, how many touches your running back is likely to get. In the new NFL, not quite as much as it used to be, but still, you know, if your guy's going to get probably get 12 to 15 touches. That's good enough for 10 points. I can start him. With your receiver, you're really gambling that you get nothing if you don't have a A.J. Green or Mike Evans or Odell Beckham or someone you know is going to get the look. So I think structurally, um, even though there may be more upside by going running back heavy early, I think that you're going to get a better portion of your points in your starting lineup in a wide receiver heavy draft. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, but... Uh, you know, things have kind of reverted a little bit to a few years ago where there's the top of the first round is usually the the, the every down running backs who, you know, are going to get guaranteed, you know, 300 touches, lots of catches, you know, big presence at the goal line. And last year, you know, we didn't really quite see that as much. I mean, some people were taking Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, one, two. This year, there's a big three. And let's let's shift over to kind of just talking about generally kind of your top 10 to 14 in the in the first round. I mean, it's David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell. Zeke Elliott is the top three. Unless Elliott would get suspended or somebody would get hurt, that's not going to change, I don't think, until the first until the first week. That's pretty much set in stone, right? No. Uh, in the NFFC, Antonio Brown's already been creeping into the top three. He actually was, before this non-news started circulating, basically this is not news. Like, Elliott was under investigation all last year. 
They didn't finalize it. He's been under investigation this whole offseason. They didn't report on it. And then Schefter, Adam Schefter of ESPN said, you know, he heard some rumblings that he was going to get suspended and that was not going to get suspended from different people. And it made him nervous to draft. And I thought, you know, whatever you go to Schefter for, it's not risk management. You know, it's like it's not his area of expertise. Um, and then what happened was because he said something and he's, you know, should we, we assume he's very connected. Everyone thought, oh, that's legit. Like he so sort of he became his own source. A guy on Twitter that follows me said something really smart. He said, you know, because Schefter's considered an insider, he was then the source of the sort of unsourced speculation that he had talked about. So there hasn't really been any news. Now, last night, of course, you know, as you said, it's July 17th. Zeke Elliott got into some bar fight of some kind. We don't know the details that well. And so now it seems like, okay, they're going to just do something for this sort of PR problem. But, you know, until the details come out and until we know really what the evidence is, it's hard to say. I assume the NFL is just so such a – they'll just do whatever they need to do and they'll just suspend him for two, two games even if he doesn't deserve it um, because it's just becoming a headache. Um, and so I've priced that in. And, and I've actually downgraded his projection a little bit. Okay. So that risk is there for the top three. But assuming he's not, I mean, you know, I, I'm wide receiver first guy. But even, even that said, I'm not going to pass down – I'm not going to pass by those three type of running backs. You would take Zeke Elliott with suspension risk over Antonio Brown in a three-receiver PPR with a flex? No, I might not. That's a tougher call. But I'm saying with, with Elliott, Bell, and Johnson, no suspension risk, no uh, you know, health news that's come out bad. I'm, I'm taking them top three, no, you know, no problem, not think twice about it. Yeah. Um, so, But you're saying, because we, I mean, we don't know. and You can't like, sit there and say, well, let's schedule my draft until we know the verdict here. We don't know when they're going to pass down a verdict on Elliott, right? So chances are you might have a draft where this information is still up in the air, and you're going to have to price that in. You're going to have to price in the risk. I mean, look, his reduced projection, just so you know, is 274 carries for 1,333 yards, 12 TDs, 36 for 333, and a receiving TD. So it's still pretty good, even if you bake in sort of a game, game and a half suspension, you know, sort of the over-under. Yeah, I think that you know if if you're gonna take him number three, take him ahead of Brown or Beckham, and you end up getting a one or two game suspension, you can probably live through that. You know, it's probably not the end of the world. It's just more the risk that's you know that's three, four, five, six or something like that, right? Um, in which case your season's like wiped out because you just you know had this first round asset which is supposed to be safe and secure. Or you spent a lot of money on him in auction, and you're gonna get you know a third to half price off. That's just devastating for your team. So you know if the risk is a one or two game suspension, then Maybe I'll just let it go because it is just a lot of noise and not a lot of substance at this point. And, you know, who knows? I mean, it, it's also July. Training camps have an open. People need to talk about something. I agree. <laughs> okay, so after those top three, then you got the big three wide receivers on your list. You know, I'm looking at PPR rankings here. You got Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones. I mean, as the top six goes, the Elliott News aside, that's, you know, that's pretty much locked in, I would think. And then really, to me, number seven is where people start – deviating from kind of the the norm i mean melvin gordon you have number seven but i'm not sure that's necessarily a consensus right i mean i think some people might might take i don't have a number seven the algorithm that uh mixes the positions has a number seven uh, i would probably well i might take aj green there in the three receiver uh and a flex ppr league i i did take jay ajayi there at nine it was sort of a similar choice i think one of the guys were gone uh the the guy who I think you know is usually going there is Mike Evans. I think that's the guy who's most commonly going at seven. I have AJ Green ahead of Mike Evans. But you're not as high on Mike Evans as the rest of the industry, right? Correct. That's why. That's why I think they would take him number seven, and they think the draft starts at eight. But in my mind, it really starts at six. But you know, I think Julio Jones. I worry about his health, but last we saw him in the Super Bowl, he was he looked great, and there's been no bad news since. So, um. Projecting him as largely healthy. So, uh, okay. So that obviously, you know, after you know that six to ten range, it's pretty, it's pretty flux. You, you know, according to the, you know these ranks, you got Julio Jones, Melvin Jordan, J.J., Devonta Freeman, A.J. Green, Mike Evans, LaShawn McCoy. I mean, that's kind of the generally top twelve. Jordan Howard has you know popped in there some drafts in the top. You know, I think he went fifth or sixth in the Vegas league we were in. Um, Jordy Nelson, you know, is maybe a late first rounder. Um, but generally speaking, that's kind of how the, how the, how the first round is shaping up. And yeah, my rankings are boring as shit. I, I tried to do, like, so, you know, usually I, I have some outliers, but if you look at the top 13 or 14, that's probably 
as you said, everybody's top thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, exactly. But you're and you're and you're a little bit, you know, a little more negative on Evans. What's what's the you know quickly? What's the case against Net Evans in your? Well, he wasn't good last year. He had seven point eight yards per target, and the reason he was good as a fantasy player was because he led the NFL with one hundred seventy three targets, and they brought in a lot of new targets. They're getting Charles Sims back. You know, who's hurt. Assuming he makes the team, he's a 40-50 catch running back. Um, you know, they get, obviously, O.J. Howard. They drafted a guy in the third round named Chris Godwin who might get some targets. And, obviously, Deshaun Jackson's going to get 100 targets. So, you know, you're, you're just taking away his targets. He may get a little more efficient, but the point is Evans has been priced in the Beckham, you know, Julio Jones range. And I just think as a real-life player, there's really not great evidence to say that Evans is as good as those two guys. And the only reason he was fantasy-wise was because he had so much extra volume. You give him the same amount of volume, give me you know, Beckham, Julio Jones, even A.J. Green uh, any day. But isn't the flip side of that that you know, he's in a, a team that should improve, he's got a young, growing quarterback, he's a physical freak. I mean, in some ways you can just sort of like, you know, just not look at all the metrics and just look at the overall trend and it's kind of in your favor? You could. Um, I just, I, look, I mean, there's not that many receivers that are, you know, top 20, top 25 all-time receivers. I would say A.J. Green, Julio Jones, Beckham, and Antonio Brown are like top 25 all-time receivers. Some of them, like Beckham, like top five maybe when he's said and done. And I just think if they get the same amount of targets, well, then, you know, the better player is going to, I mean, obviously the situation matters, and it's, it's good in Tampa Bay. It's not, like a, it's not like Winston has shown that he's a great quarterback or anything like that. Um, you, you have to, you know, look at their per target averages, multiply it by the number of targets. That's how many yards they're going to get. Now, Evans does have an advantage in the red zone for his size. I mean, but, you know, it's not like Antonio Brown or Beckham doesn't score double-digit touchdowns all the time. And Julio you know, never does, but probably should. And A.J. Green was on a, a pace to be the, the top receiver when he got hurt last year. So I just think those are all better players than Mike Evans. And if you normalize the volume between them, I'm taking Evans after them. I mean, I have him as the fifth receiver. It's not like I've downgraded him that much but i just don't want to put him above top 25 historic nfl receivers all right well that's kind of the first round let's switch over to just quarterback in particular um your top 10 aaron Rodgers, tom brady drew Brees, andrew luck not a lot of surprises there cam newton russell wilson kirk cousins marcus Mariota, matt ryan i think at least of the consensus you probably have cam newton a little bit higher than anybody else um what's the case there I moved him up. I, I had, you know, I once you, you know, Luck is injured, but um, I'm assuming he's healthy. But once you get past Luck, I think there's like three tiers, right? There's like, I mean, there's more than that, but just three tiers in the top. You have Rogers Brady, that that's like one tier, and then you have Luck Breeze, which is the second tier, and then you have this big third tier with a lot of QBs in it, and then the order of that's going to vary a lot around the industry. I had Cousins as the top guy at one point. I had Barry Oda at another point, but I just thought about it, and Cam is. He's had two of like the top five or six fantasy quarterback seasons of all time. Okay. And I just think like that just needs to be priced in. They got him McCaffrey. They got him uh, Curtis Samuel, who's also, you know, in the second round is also sort of an, a nice receiver who can catch short routes and do something explosive with it. Uh, everybody's coming back healthy. I know they just fired their GM, which is kind of bizarre, but uh, I just think Cam uh, maybe stops running. Who knows? But it's not like they brought in some goal line back. They still have Jonathan Stewart, who's, on his last legs, and McCaffrey's not the bruiser. I still think Cam, coming into the season healthy, he was playing hurt last year, um, could get seven, eight rushing touchdowns and be a monster. And I just think, you know, we can't just be uh, subject to such recency bias where, oh, he had one subpar year while playing hurt. I think if he comes in healthy, you know, he's a threat to be the number one overall quarterback. All right, so that, that's your top ten. Who, who are kind of your, your weight on the quarterback kind of guys? Because you and I are usually weight on the quarterback kind of guys. I mean, I am. I, I wait Everybody forever. is. It's not even a strategy anymore. You can't even say, like, oh, my strategy is to wait on quarterbacks in a 1QB league. Like, that's just not even a thing anymore. It just is. It's like a rule now. Okay, so then who are your weight on? I mean, you're dipping into the... Andy you know, Dalton. Andy I want to get shares of Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's thrown for, like, 30 TDs. He was, like, in the MVP discussion two years ago. A.J. Green got hurt last year, but he's got A.J. Green back healthy. They drafted John Ross, who, like, I think he ran a 4-2-2, 40. You know, I mean, like, way. It was just ridiculous. And they still have, you know, Tyler Boyd, who was a second-round pick, I think, last year. And they have Brand LaFell, who was competent. Eifert, you know, obviously health is always an issue, but he's an elite tight end when he's healthy. Uh, Joe Mixon is obviously can catch passes and help that out. Gio Bernard should be back in the first few weeks of the season. So, you know, it's just he's loaded with weapons, and... 
I mean, and he's a pretty good quarterback. So I, to me, Andy Dalton is, I have been 12, but easily he could finish as the seventh QB this year. And then what about, uh, you know, what about Winston and Mariota? We talked about them last year. We were like, these are, you know, medic, uh, pedigree, high pedigree guys, first round picks, up and coming. And I had them in a lot of leagues and it, and it paid off. Mariota seems to be getting a lot more love this year because he's got more weapons around him. But Winston, I think, is still a, an upside guy. I mean, he's just, every year he should be a little bit better. He didn't get better last year, right? He was the same guy as a, sort of his rookie year. And that was fine. It wasn't like he had a Blake Bortles year. He was fine. He was good enough. They also had a lot of thinning out on the receiving core. He was had to force it with, to Evans a lot. I think there's upside with Winston. And sometimes, you know, you, you look for the leap, it doesn't happen, and then you give up, and the next year it happens on someone else's team. So, yeah, I think those guys both have a lot of upside. I think Mariota has the injury risk with the running, but Mariota also has crazy ceiling with the running and then all the receivers they brought in. And then the last guy i got to ask you about is Roethlisberger, who you're really down on compared to probably the rest of the industry. You got him. I'm, I'm not down on him. I'm not down on him. I ranked him 18th. I think those are two separate things. And, and Dory and I had this big debate. That was the guy we argued about the most. And, and my case is this. Look, these are projections, right? I'm just projecting the numbers I think he should be projected for. How many TDs did I give him? Uh, let's see. On, these, on this one, you got 30 touchdowns. 30 touchdowns. And if you look at the spreadsheet, which doesn't display on, on this thing, I gave him 14 games. So I gave him 11 interceptions. I didn't give him a bad year. I gave him a 7.8 YPA. I gave Roethlisberger actually really good numbers. It's just that his, his yards are 39.77, which is low, right? And he gets nothing rushing, which we know. And I docked him two games. If he plays the full season, he probably gets 4,400, 4,500 yards, and he's a top seven quarterback. It's just that I think at this point, we can't just be projecting Roethlisberger the same way we project Drew Brees or Kirk Cousins or Matt Ryan. It's just not apples to apples. He gets hurt. He's been beat up. He thought about retiring. He's also been horrible on the road. Um, I, you know, in, in a league where you have a deep bench and you can mix and match, I think that's great. And it's not horrible on the road last year. It's three years running. He's been amazing at home, horrible on the road. Yeah, I just think, and, I just think in a one-quarterback league, okay. 12 teams, maybe 14 teams, you know, Roethlisberger at 14 games or 13 games plus two or three games of whatever scrub I pick off the waiver wire – that's still that combination is to me still probably a top five, top seven quarterback. Okay, and I agree. Maybe you know top nine, top eight. Yes, I agree. Okay, but the problem is I'm just doing projections, right? I'm not telling you which kind of league you play in, right? So it's like if you play in a one QB twelve team league, then yeah, who cares if Roethlisberger misses three games? You just pick up Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton, Philip Rivers, whoever. There's going to be plenty of good quarterbacks to fill in, right? But maybe you play in a QB flex league, right? Now Roethlisberger's a real problem, those three games he misses. That really, that might sink you. That may be why you didn't make the playoffs, right? Let's say you play in the NFFC. It's a 1QB 12 team or even the 14 team, and you have a 10-man bench. Everybody's got a second quarterback on their bench. Now the waiver wire doesn't have those guys. The waiver wire has like Mike Glennon, right? The waiver wire might have Joe Flacco. That's who's on the waiver wire for those couple games, okay? That's on a deep bench. You play in a shallow bench league like the Vegas league with five, six bench spots, 1QB 12 team. Of course, Roethlisberger moves up. But I can't tell you what league you're playing in, right? I can't tell you how big your bench is. I'm just doing the projections. Now, maybe we should add some tool that says, okay, depending on the league size and all these things, we'll add a, you know, a dummy replacement game thing to, to everybody's stats. So if you're projected for 14, you get two games of dummy stats added to your stats. And, but if you're playing in a two-QB league, you don't get any dummy stats because there's no dummy quarterbacks left. So... You know, that would be an adjustment we can make. But I can't give the guy projections that I don't believe he's entitled to just to push him up for a very specific specific type of league, even if that happens to be a pretty common type of league. Yep. All right, makes sense. Well, let's, uh, okay, so let's switch over to, to running backs. Um, I mean, which obviously quarterback, one quarterback league, like you and I both say, it almost doesn't matter. I'm, I'm usually like the last guy to take my starter and maybe, and I don't even take a backup half the time because you can always just pick him up. Running backs, you know, we talked about the big three, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel at, the, at number three. You've got Melvin Gordon, number four, Jay Ajayi, number five, Devonta Freeman, number six, LaShawn McCoy, number seven, Jordan Howard, number eight, DeMarco Murray, nine, Todd Gurley, number 10. Um, which of those, you know, which of those guys, you know, in the, at the, you know, five to 10 was the tough guy to rank? Who's the most volatile, like, that you might change your opinion on or if you read some stuff this preseason that, that they, they might move around? Gurley was one. I mean, I really think... You know, is he going down the Trent Richardson path or is he going down the Melvin Gordon path where he has a terrible year and then suddenly he looks good? Um, 
we don't know if we see something he looks amazing in preseason and he's running people over and the line looks better and the offense is better run. You know, if golf looks like he's making some good throws, you know, maybe we move Gurley up. Um, Melvin Gordon is ranked at, you know, basically Gordon, Ajay, Devonta Freeman, McCoy, Howard, those five are, if you look at their projections, they're very close. You know, it's like a couple points here or there. So, I actually have a weird vibe about Gordon. He just seems to get hurt a lot, and they just run him. He runs so hard, and they just use him so heavily that I probably take Ajayi straight up over Gordon. Um, I ranked Gordon higher because I don't vibe isn't something that I wanted to necessarily bake into the rankings. I just think Gordon is going to get if he, if I'm wrong about the vibe and Gordon stays healthy, he's going to get so much use that he's going to be a star. Um, but I think all those guys are kind of fun interchangeable. I, the, the guy I like least of that group though is McCoy because I just think you always have that cliff chance, right? I mean, he had a great year last year, but about 2,000 carries. There's always the chance, you know, likely his best days are behind him, and there's always the chance a guy with that kind of workload just drops. Okay, then 11 and 12, you got the two rookies, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, fairly high rookies for, fairly high rankings for rookie. Not Obviously not where Elliot was last year, but I mean, for the most part, you're pretty high on both of them, correct? Um, you know, is Fournette just, because of where he was drafted, is just going to get all the early down carries in Jacksonville, and their D is apparently better. And so it just seems like an easy one. He's very talented. All the metrics coming out of college are good. Um, Christian McCaffrey is kind of a wild card. I mean, remember, this is PPR rankings, right? He drops a lot in non-PPR rankings. I only gave him 133 carries. But Jonathan Stewart like, could lose his job to anybody or nobody. He's, to me, like on his last legs. And they didn't draft McCaffrey where they did. When you have Cam Newton as your quarterback, a franchise quarterback um, that just took you to a 15 and one Super Bowl season the year before, um, they had a bad year last year. You don't make a first round pick on a guy you're not going to use heavily, right? You just don't do that. You, you could just take an offensive lineman if you really. You're trying to win a Super Bowl, and NFL, as we know, is a reshuffle league. Unless you're the Browns or the Niners, you're playing for right now, and so they're not drafting McCaffrey with that early first round pick, and not at least using him heavily in the passing game. So I'm pretty confident about his workload. And in PPR, you know, that's just so easy for getting 55, 60 catches to, to be a top guy. All right, so other, other guys that I kind of see just as like flashpoint players or value might change a lot as we look at them. You have the other rookies would be, um, uh, you know, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook. I mean, Joe Mixon, you know, we've seen him go in the third round, like, you know, in, in a bunch of leagues. Do you think that's warranted? I mean... I know he's talented, but is he going to get the opportunity there? Well, you know, Jeff Erickson covers the Bengals, and Jeff is kind of skeptical that they're just going to give the job to Mixon, like as if Jeremy Hill's not there anymore or as if Gio Renard's not going to be back soon. Like that's why I have him a little bit lower maybe than some some people. I just kind of thought, okay, I believe you. I mean, I'm not saying – Jeff's not saying he definitely won't, but the presumption that suddenly he's just going to like come in and be the starter, I think that's a presumption. Yeah, and then what about Dalvin Cook? I mean, obviously I'm a Vikings guy, so – um, I have my own take, but I'm just curious to know what, what you think of him. Well, I might move him up because I saw news yesterday that it wasn't really news. It was like a co- coach speak, but it was sort of positive coach speak. Like, oh, we, we're not saying we're going to give him all this carries, but we might. We're not saying we're not. Um, I just think they brought in Latavius Murray, and there's like a really good chance that Latavius Murray is the starter, you know, like a 50% chance. And when there's that big, I don't think Latavius Murray is especially good, but if there's, you know, even if it's 40%, if there's that high of a chance that your guy's not even starting, and then McKinnon may be the third down guy. I just feel like I can't rank you that high because your upside is top five, but the downside is you're not rosterable. So it's just, you know, I, I just kind of split the difference. Yeah, I just I just have flashbacks to last season when Adrian Peterson averaged some crazy stat where he averaged like, it was like 0.2 yards before contact. Like their offensive line right. was so terrible, right? And so, and I don't know that that dynamic has changed tremendously this year. And I think their offense could just be pretty meager. Um, and, and with Bradford not being able to throw the ball down the field that much, probably given the lack of time and lack of weapons and arm strength, I mean, you know, he just may have no room to run anyway, no matter who it is. But I do like him as just kind of an upside guy. I took him in the Vegas league. I, I can't remember, like, sixth round or something like that, where I just I needed an upside running back, and he fits the bill. Yeah, sure. He's got a ton of upside. I mean, wins the job. Maybe he's a three-down back, right? Yeah. All right, so, all right, so then moving down, farther down the rankings, I mean, who you're taking wide receivers early, you're taking running backs late. Who are your weight on the running back you know, candidates? Who are the guys you're kind of targeting mid to late rounds? Like, just throw me out some popular names of guys you have. Yeah, I mean, you know, it really matters if it's PPR. You know, I mean, 
if if I'm going like four receivers in a row or three receivers in a tight end, I find myself drafting like Bilal Powell quite a bit, even though he may not be the starter. Duke Johnson, I end up with. I figure he'll catch 50 balls regardless. Theoretic, fine within PPR. Um, Danny Woodhead, I end up with those pass catching backs. Um, I'm kind of curious about Forte. I mean, he's old, but he's one of those guys that seems like he's going to be hard to kill off. Like they're never going to totally get rid of him, and he'll catch 40 passes at least. Um, those are kind of the guys. And if I want to go really deep, you know, I think Charles Sims is a very good pass catcher. And if he does stick with the team, could have a decent sized role. Um, you know, Jamal Charles, I think people are totally assuming he's not going to come back. I don't mind sort of a late flyer on him. Uh, CJ Procise is another one that I would certainly gamble on is, is the potential third down back. He looked good when he got a small chance before getting hurt last year. Even later, guys like Chris Thompson should be available. You know, he's their third down back in Washington. It's a good offense. Alvin Kamara is usually available decently late. And then my super deep guys are like Robert Turbin. I know you're also a Colts guy. I've been wrong about Frank Gore. Not really. He was bad last year, so I wasn't wrong about that. But he, he stayed healthy and kept the job all year. So I was wrong about that. But like, I just hit 34, and even his pass protection was rated poorly by Pro Football Focus. I think someone else is going to take it over. And people are drafting uh, Marlon Mack as the guy, but I think Turbin could be the guy, and he's just kind of almost available for free at the end of drafts. Yeah, he was just more of a goal line guy last year. They didn't really give him much carries beyond that, but, you know, Max unknown, but he was pretty dynamic in college, so he's more upside if he would take over the job and, and become the guy. But I will say this, no one has ever gone broke uh, betting on Frank Gore. <laughs> Every yeah, year. but no one's ever made real money on it either. That's the thing. No one's ever gone broke, but, like, if you dra- it's like if you're wrong about Frank Gore and someone got Frank Gore in like the I don't know he, he was getting drafted too early last year like the sixth round or seventh round, it's like oh, I guess I didn't get his like, you know, spread out over 16 game meager production per game. You know I mean he got four receiving touchdowns last year which was like a real fluky bonus but it's like it's it's not like you're losing because you didn't get Frank Gore that that was the key guy to get like I, I always feel like no one gets rich off of drafting him either. Yeah, that's true. But I'm just saying, like, it's just, I think it's been like five years in a row where we've said, this is the year he's done, right? Now, you're probably right. right. I mean, I mean eventually, point, it has to be, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, I have Marlon Mack a bunch. I mean, the other guys I have, look, I, I you know, I, I have Jalen Richard, I guess. I guess that's how you say his last name in Oakland. Basically, anyone why, in the Oakland. Why Richard over DeAndre Washington? Yeah. Why, why him? Uh, why? It just seems like he has a little bit more talent that if he took over the job, he'd be more dynamic and maybe take it all over. But I, I don't really have, I don't really have, and he also, he's also cheaper, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but I, I, I'm just really down on Marshawn Lynch. I mean, a guy comes in, he, remember, he hasn't played for a year. I'm sure the year he was out in football, he was not, like, getting in shape or something like that. It wasn't like he was, you know, taking a year off because he was suspended or something like that. I mean, I think he, he probably wasn't doing anything, right? And then the year before he came back, he stunk. You know, I mean, he wasn't really that good at the, at the end of his, his last year in Seattle. So it's just like, why do we think this guy is a top 20 running back the first year he comes back? I think, you know, we could see some reports in, in camp that you know that where he's not looking that good and suddenly that backfield's wide open yeah but the media is like they used to hate lynch they used to remember that he was like a criminal in buffalo they were like this guy's like a criminal he's in trouble with the law he's a bad guy and now he's like a media darling so i bet they're gonna kiss his ass like crazy and can't be wary of that if you see like all these glowing reports about lynch like make sure it's like coming from like a real scouting observational point of view and not like the coaches say he's doing wonderfully you know, because there's going to be a lot of puff pieces on him because he's just that's just who he is now in the media. He's a guy that they like. Yeah, so I, I mean, one of my usual strategies for football is just find the backfield with the older veteran and then just speculate like crazy and get the younger guys, you know, underneath. It almost doesn't matter. If you get like three or four of them, one of them pops, you can have an, a, a starter. Like no one envisioned uh, Howard in Chicago last year, right, as, as being right. that good, right? And it was kind of a similar scenario. I think Washington's the same way, right? A um, couple rookies there. Who knows how it's going to play out? Their offense could be dynamic. They're obviously not like a super run-first offense, but you know, I think that's another place to speculate as well. You know, later on, later on that. But it was weird because Chicago, the starter was Langford, right? So like, it was like he was kind of a scrub, but he wasn't old. Yeah, he, <laughs> he just wasn't, wasn't good. He wasn't Marshawn Lynch, Frank Gore kind of kind of kind of kind right. of situation, but still similar. But yeah, you know, the ones with the older veterans, I think Oakland is is just a prime one like that. I just I could be wrong, but I just I just and, think that well, Lynch is not. I just can't see him being good. Let me give you the flip side of that. So you, I, and, and I agree with that strategy. Also, I don't like to draft older players that, that cost anything you know, more than like a late-round pick because 
there's always injury risk for everybody, right? Older players, I think it's a little higher, although it's offset by the fact that they're such survivors, but there's injury risk for everybody. And then there's like, you know, job risk for anybody, but although veterans usually have less, but there's like an added risk for older players, which is just cliff risk, right? They may be healthy, but just no good anymore, right? Like they, anytime a guy's over 30 as a running back, it just may be the year that he just isn't an NFL player anymore. And nobody knew it until the year started, until the game started. And I feel like, you know, Brandon Marshall, 33 and a half on the Giants, like, I think he has cliff risk, you know, not just the regular risks that everybody has. But, I, I, you know, with the 27-year-old, there's no cliff risk. There's injury risk and there's job security risk. But there's no, like, oh, he's just too old to play in the NFL. And I think you're adding on, like, if, if a guy gets into the point where it's either this year or next when he's probably done – you're adding like a 40% risk that this is it. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I have a hard time drafting, you know, older players anywhere in the top six or seven rounds, in, in, unless there's some very special reason to draft them. Yeah, I did take Frank Gore in the Stopa uh, 2K League, uh, but he was seven, $7 out of a uh, 200 budget. So Terrible buy. $7 was cheap. You know, if he has five good games, I'll probably uh, make my money back. Um, all right, so that's the running back rankings. Before we dive into wide receiver, I uh, want to shout out to our sponsor, Yahoo Fantasy Football, Yahoo Fantasy Football, endless ways to win each week, whether it's, you know, waiver claims, they do a good job there, uh, Smack Talk, uh, it's the funnest, great, it's great format, um, it's free to play, their mobile app's really good, um, again, sign up today, rotowire.com slash yahoo, uh, that, you know, their app's rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association three years in a row, they've got lots of in-depth uh, player and, and matchup analysis, uh, some of which uh, Rotowire helps provide, so obviously a great partner. Um, so you know, switch to league to Yahoo, where you can manage your league. You know, dues for free. That's that's a thing they have, and the fantasy uh, app ma- uh, messenger allows for all the you know, all kinds of you know banner and smack talk um, that your league can put together. So it's a good it's a good place. You know, that Stopa 2K league we we draft it with the Yahoo folks. We host it on Yahoo. It's a great platform. Um, I would definitely uh, you know highly recommend it. Um, but again, they're sponsoring the podcast, so uh, you know, just shout out to them. Rotowire.com. I'm sorry, Yahoo.com/slash Rotowire. Uh, check it out. Uh, wide receivers, obviously, we talked about them a little bit before. Um, a kind of a big three at wide receiver. Again, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, maybe a big four, Mike Evans, Jordy Nelson, T.Y. Hilton. And then you've got Des Bryant, Michael Thomas, Amari Cooper. The two guys there that I think are really kind of, you know, I could see taking them higher, taking them lower, Des Bryant and Michael Thomas, right? I mean, they both... You know, they both depending on the format, but to me, like you could make a case of dealing with those guys is like number five, and I, I, I could, I could see it. Yeah, I mean, Dez in the second half really took off, and in the playoff loss to the Packers, he had a huge game, right? So you're talking about he came into the season, he was kind of hurt, came back mid-season, then he had to adjust to a new QB, but by like week nine, ten, they were clicking. I think he had something like seven touchdowns in eight games, including the playoffs or something like that. So he was himself at the end of the year. And he's still only like 27 years old. He's not old. So um, there's upside. I think the downside is obviously just he gets hurt a lot. And then Michael Thomas, um, he's going to be the number one guy there. And he's a good player. But he's got all like, you know, the offseason reports are stellar. He works hard. He's really great at, you know, learning everything they ask him to do. But one catch of 40 or more yards last year. He's just not fast. So he's not a deep threat. And then, you know, the Saints have always spread it around. The, the guy who had the most targets, you know who had the most targets in Drew Brees' tenure since 2006? This is the most prolific passing offense in the history of the NFL on this decade period or 11-year period. Do you know who led them, who had the most targets in a single season of any player during that tenure? Uh, I don't have a good recollection off the top of my mind, so just fire away. Jimmy Graham had 149 targets in 2011. That was the most, Okay. Um, the, the most for a receiver is Marcus Colston in 2007, 143. Now, think about that. Like, there were nine receivers that broke 150 targets last year. There has not been a single New Orleans Saint target to break 150 in 11, 12 years of the most prolific passing offense of all time. So, you know, you think, oh, Michael Thomas, you know, Brandon Cooks is gone. Michael Thomas is going to be a monster. Well, he's got to be a monster on 145 targets. And he's got to be a monster without getting 15, 16, 18 yards a catch, you know, like Deshaun Jackson does. So he's going to get like, you know, 12 yards a catch, 13 yards a catch, somewhere in there. And he may only get 145 targets. 
So he better score a lot of touchdowns, you know, basically, or he better catch a hundred plus passes, which he might, but you know, remember, he's not probably going to get that many targets. Okay. And then, uh, the rest of your top rankings, Mark Cooper, Doug Baldwin, Brandon Cooks, Terrell Pryor. Cooks, I mean, I think you've made this case before. I mean, he's another guy who, why, 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 you know, why wouldn't he be a top five guy or top six guy, right? I mean, he's going, they traded a lot for him. They got him in there. He's got a great quarterback. You know, New, New England hasn't been the same case, right? They're not, they don't, when they see someone's good, they'll, they give him tons of targets, right? I mean, why couldn't he be the, the guy that, that dominates the targets? Right. So, so there's two sort of strains of argument here, and I see both. And that's why I have him at 12 and not six. Okay. So the downside is he's Deshaun Jackson. They have established targets. Julian Edelman gets 140, 150 a year. Gronk right now is healthy. That's another 120. You got tons of running backs that they throw to three different ones. You know, that's got to be another 120. You know, they've got Dwayne Allen there. They've got Malcolm Mitchell. They got Chris Hogan. So there's just not going to be enough targets left for Cooks. And Cooks then will provide a deep threat that they've lacked. And he'll get 105 targets, and he'll get you know 1,100 yards, huge per target production. But he'll basically be Deshaun Jackson. That's sort of one strain of the argument. That's sort of the guys who are down on Cooks don't think he should be this high. The other side of it is kind of what you said, which is that if Cooks, who's 23 years old, with Julian Edelman's 31, runs Edelman's routes 10 times better than Edelman, is much quicker, much more explosive after the catch, which he is. You know, the Patriots are going to say, oh, but we got to give Edelman his targets. He's been with us for so long. He's been such a, you know, a good part of this success of the team. They don't care about that. Like, if, if Cooks is better, he's getting the ball. And so it's kind of like, which side do you think? Now, I've had smart people say, look, Edelman is too valuable. The, the rapport with Brady is too good. But remember, that was Welker. Welker was supposedly irreplaceable. They couldn't let him go. Well, they did. And Edelman just picked up right where they left off. Now, there was a thing where Edelman and Brady are working out in Idaho or Montana or something like that. And you know, running crazy reps, like just in the summer, just voluntarily. Okay, maybe, you know, maybe there's that. But to me, if Edelman's asked to return punts, and that's his job, he'll return punts and be a, you know, fourth receiver, third receiver, then that's what he'll do. Like, I just think that that's how the Patriots run things. And so I have Cooks at 12, but I want to get some shares. I think he could be top five. All right, so that's kind of top of your rankings, just like with the running backs, middle to late. I mean, who are some kind of your, 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 your wide receivers, that you're targeting in that area. I love John Brown. Okay, John Brown to me, I, I get bummed every time someone takes him. I always try to wait because you can usually get him in like the sixth, but I think he's creeping up a little because basically this guy was compared to Marvin Harrison and T.Y. Hilton a couple years ago. Had like a thousand yard, seven touchdown season, despite Larry Fitzgerald and Michael Floyd getting you know more than a hundred targets, or maybe Floyd at 89 and Fitzgerald had a lot. Now Floyd is gone, and the problem was Brown had a horrible year last year, but he wasn't himself. He was fatigued. Uh, it turned out he had a cyst on his back that they, and his spine that they removed. And ever since they had the surgery, he's felt like a million bucks. And so now that he's normal again, and he's back to the trajectory he was on, uh, and there's no Floyd there, there's no tight end to speak of. It's just basically old Fitzgerald who serves as a tight end. John Brown can get 140 targets. And if John Brown of two years ago gets 140 targets, he's going to be sort of a sleeper. If you're going to go to Vegas right now and, and put money on which receiver is going to lead the NFL in yardage, that would be a good, very long odd sleeper. All right. You got a couple more for me? Um, yeah, that's one. You know, I'm high on Devontae Parker. I'm kind of buying the offseason hype and the pedigree. Obviously, he's excellent. You know, I, I this is probably dumb, but he's really cheap usually. I, I try to get a share of Kevin White here and there. I just think the Bears are going to find out whether he's a bust or not. I don't think they really know. He's been hurt almost all of his career so far. This guy's Julio Jones physically. Rashad Perriman, same thing. Um, I think they have to find out with him. I know they signed Macklin, but if Perriman's the real deal, that's going to be a game changer for them. I have some shares of Mark Heasley. I just think he's really, really quick and athletic, and he was the only guy who kind of survived Bortles' collapse. I've got some Tyler Lockett. Could be the number two there. Was really good as a rookie. Was, was hurt a lot of last year. Wasn't himself. Um, so those are, those are a few sleepers that I tend to have on my teams. All right, so the guys, the guys I like are Devontae Adams. I know he's not a sleeper, right? But I, got him, I took him in the fourth round of the Vegas League, which is a standard league. I mean, he showed a lot of growth last year. I know two years ago he stunk, which was you know, still, he's still kind of clouding my vision on him. But talking about a guy, would anybody be surprised at the end of the year if he's the clear number one wide receiver in Green Bay? And that's about as good as it gets <laughs> in terms of fit. And he, even his number two was fine. I mean, he got 12 touchdowns last year. It's not like even if Jordy does stay healthy in his himself, it's still – yeah, I think it's a pretty good 
pretty good case. Uh, I like Dante Moncrief. I mean, I you know I know I cover the Colts, so I tend to be a little homerish on him. But their offensive line kind of gelled a little bit at the end of last year, or I should say, it didn't stink, uh, which had been a big problem. Uh, assuming Luck's healthy, their defense could be terrible. Um, you know, the GM came in and signed a whole bunch of new guys. It could work out, but maybe not. And so there's just going to be a lot of targets, I think. Um, and he came off an injured year. I think he was good. He's going to be a clear number two. Um, I think that's a good one. I think. Let me ask you about Moncrief. What worries me is I just feel like I know he's hurt for some of last year, but it was like a hand injury, right? So he came back. I'm just like, when is? I, I was big on him like last couple of years, but I'm like, it's just time to break out already, dude. It's been too long. Like, I feel like we would have seen more by now if he was as good as he's supposed to be. I'm kind of out on Moncrief now. I guess so. I sort I sort of think that like he, last year or so, the offensive line was so bad. He was a little bit banged up. I just don't think we really got him in his, you know, on a good run where he was, you know, things, you know, where he was on a roll, right? And so I think that like I'm sort of willing to write that off. And I've seen enough promise with enough big games and also just but it's also just the opportunity like give me the number 2 wide receiver for the Colts this year, you know, and like I don't know that anyone else is really going to, st- you know, step into that and roll. So, you know, he's going to get targets. Um well, what about uh your Vikings guys cuz I I never know if Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen is the better guy to pick. They're at 50-50. I mean, I think it's probably Thielen. I mean, I think he was, you know, every year he gets better. Every time they put him in any role, he thrived. Um, Diggs is really injury prone. His college career was injury prone. So I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm just generally down on the Vikings in general. I just think that last year, their offense, you know, the last couple of years was all predicated on the fact that Adrian Peterson is the running back and defenses had to scheme against it. And even mid-year when he's when he was hurt, I think defenses don't adjust on the fly. It's like you still have, like you, you know, you still go into the against them sort of with that mentality. This year, I think that's not going to be anymore. They're going to like, oh, we have this weak passing game with this guy that doesn't throw downfield. There's no, you know, run is like, eh, we don't have to guard it. And I just think their offense could be pretty miserable. I, that's so I'm not really high in any of their receivers. Okay. <laughs> So you know, and then last guy, my super cheap guy. How about Alan Alan Hearns? I mean, two years ago, this guy was really good, and and I know Bortles stunk, but you can get him for nothing. And you know, this is a guy that was thousand yard plus receiver. You know, good touchdowns. I mean, that could be that you know could be a good passing game. I know we never want to put any faith in Jacksonville, but when the price is basically completely free, um, he's another guy. I think I'll probably have in a bunch of leagues. Yeah, I, I like Marquise Lee, so I, I don't. I think Hearns is done there. I mean, I think that you know, obviously, Allen Robinson's number one. They're going to run more. It's not going to be – obviously, Bortles is not good. It's not good on a per-play basis. And I think Lee, who just had hamstring problems his first two years, finally just – he's arrived. And I don't think there's room for Hearns in the offense. You could be right. But luckily, you know, it won't cost you much. It won't cost you anything. Anything at all, especially later on. Uh, let's move over to tight end. Last couple of years, I mean, tight end has sort of been Gronk or nothing. Um, but then, you know, Kelsey had that big year last year. Jimmy Graham – came back from being almost completely written off. I remember at this point last year, people were like, the surgeries had, there's just no way he's going to be anything. And then you still have Greg Olson. You have Jordan Reed who's injured. Who's going to be, who's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of upside. That's kind of your top five. Is it kind of like what, get one of those top five in the wait forever? Or do you think there's a, or is there a bigger, or is the mentality still just like, if you're not taking, you know, Gronk at the top, just forget it. Uh, I kind of have a top, Four-ish. I mean, Greg Olson, it's just, I have a hard time paying that cost with the modest upside. I guess in a full PPR, you feel pretty good about Olson, but in non-PPR, it's just, I don't know, you're just getting a lot of yardage from him. Um, I moved Jimmy Graham way up uh, I recently, because I just it just dawned on me, like, why do I have him as the fifth tight end? Like, he was clearly one and two, and then he had this horrible injury, and he's back. Like, he was good in the second half. And Seattle has Doug Baldwin, who's small, Tyler Lockett, who's tiny, and that's it. I mean, they have like Paul Richardson, who's small, Jermaine Kurt. They don't have any receiver, any receiving depth, and they don't have any big receivers. And so, like, this should be the red zone guy. And yeah, maybe they they try to run it more, but their offensive line isn't good, and it's harder to run block than pass block. I'm like, Jimmy Graham could easily be the number one tight end. He's a major talent paired with a great QB, and in a place where there's tons of opportunity. Even if they only throw it 460 times, there's just not a lot of targets that are occupied right now. So um, I think Jimmy Graham I'm going to have in quite a few leagues if he's available in sort of the late fifth, early sixth. He may even, I may even bump up to early fifth. Hmm. Interesting. It's just, it's just rare for a player to have just complete written off injury-wise and then come back and be like 
you know, the, the top guy again. It's, it doesn't really happen in football that much. Adrian Peterson. Uh, well, that's true, but he had kind of a normal ACL injury that people right. come back from, right? So his Graham had what was this injury again? I'm, it was a, I thought it was a torn patella tendon. Yes, exactly. What Cruz right. had. Mr. Cruz was already washed up, you know, when that happened. And so, and he came back. He just didn't come back as, you know, he just came back as like what you'd expect Victor Cruz to look like two years after he was already going bad, right? So, like, I don't know that, I think he kind of successfully came back too. He just wasn't good anymore. But it's funny that, like, oh, no one's ever come back from this. But it's like, well, people are so, you know, it's that inductive reasoning. You know, I always make this analogy, like, you know, it's the Bertrand Russell thing. It's like jumping off the Empire State Building and counting his windows, counting the windows as you go down and saying, when you get to 80, so far, so good. It's like, no one's ever done this, therefore no one will ever do it. Well, maybe it's just something that doesn't happen that often, so there's not a big sample. And, you know, just maybe the technology changed slightly. I mean, I don't know. Like before, AC, ACLs used to be a death sentence, and now they're routine. You know, yeah, it's probably true. It's probably like, you know, medical technology advances so much that every, you know, every couple of years there's probably a ailment like that that is, nobody ever comes back from, and, and then they do, right? So, um but anyway, so yeah, he's, I mean, obviously he's sort of back to where he was, you know, for the, for the, you know, for the most part, obviously he's not on the highest, you know, high, highest passing offense in the league, but the, the environment is, is in the setup is pretty good. Then after that, you know, top five, you've got Kyle Rudolph, Zach Ertz, Martellus Bennett, who switched to Green Bay, switched teams to Green Bay, and you got Tyler Eifert, and you got Delaney Walker, who, um, you know, if you're not going to get a tight, top tight end and you're going to wait, which usually is me. Who who you you know who are you waiting on in, in the second half or later of, of your tight ends? Well, I think Ertz is like really safe, and I think Rudolph is a little injury prone, but still pretty safe to get production because Bradford likes to throw short passes. But um, I really like Hunter Henry. I just think like you know I probably have to move him up to get him where I have him. I mean I just think there is risk that he doesn't develop, but he was good as a rookie on a per game basis, and almost no rookie tight ends are good. That is very encouraging. Uh, I, I think there's like a double, a ten touchdown upside season there, that you know that it may not, it may not even be the starter, but if it does break his way, there's big upside there. Uh, Eric Ebron, I've been hearing that he's going to like occupy some of Anquan Bolden's role from last year. I've been in on Ebron too long to really be excited about it. If you want to go deeper, C.J. Fedorowicz kind of showed that he was a receiving tight end last year in a horrible environment, and the environment may not be that much better, but maybe a little better. So kind of like him in year three, that's kind of when tight ends start to break out. And I almost never take rookie tight ends, but I think I would make an exception for Howard, just given the buzz on him. Again, I'm, you know, I would take him, you know, as the 19th or 17th tight end or whatever. And then Austin Hooper is another kind of interesting second year guy that is in a good spot in a pretty thin uh, receiving core with a good quarterback in Atlanta. Yeah. I like, I like Hunter Henry a lot. I think his ADP will rise, especially if like in camp, uh, you know, we would hear anything about Gates and, and Gates slowing down or, or just something like that. He just seems to be kind of like everything seems to be going the right direction for him. Like a, he could ascend when the veteran sort of really just becomes a, a goal line specialist guy. And what about Jack Doyle and the Colts? I mean, I mean, again, tons of opportunity. You know, Dwayne Allen got traded. They might throw a zillion passes. But are you, are you high on him at all? He's in a great spot. And I know that, you know, a lot of people have been pointing out on Twitter, oh, you know, the Colts always started their tight ends from in close, and you know, whoever's there, Fleener had a good year one year, and Dwayne Allen got a lot of touchdowns on the rare occasion he was healthy, but I don't know, man. It just seems like, is he good? Is he any good? I don't know. You know, and I just feel like the industry's talking him up a little bit, and it is could he lose the job to, like, Eric Swope or something like that, or is, I mean, I, I just don't know that, is he good? I mean, is, is, is he definitely going to have that job? I think you would know better than me. Improved every year. I just don't know if he's like got the pedigree to be a great athlete to really ascend to the next level. But again, it's a good spot. I like it. I also like Swoop too, actually, as a number two guy because he showed flashes last year. But I don't know if the opportunity will be there. He's like my super sleeper, um, and certainly costs nothing. Um, yeah, so that's it for tight end. Um, what? Um, I guess, you know, we talked about a lot of rookies. Let's switch over to some rookies. We talked about a bunch of them. So let me just go through some guys we haven't talked about and uh and see what, what you think about him um we talked we went through all the rookie running backs we talked about kareem hunt um don't you think he's a pretty good weight on you know running back kind of kind of player i think he's the guy whose adp is going to rise like every week of the preseason as we hear more and more about him well i think the reason people like him is because he's not a backup he's a possible starter right possible third down back possible starter spencer ware is just not that locked into the job and they were spelling where even Last year with Charkander West. So, yeah, I think he's interesting. 
Andy Reid's offenses are usually good for PPR running backs. So, um, yeah, I, I'll probably have some shares. Yeah, he's a guy who's uh, I definitely want to get, but I have a feeling he's going to get priced up uh, as, as the season goes along. But he's definitely a guy I'm waiting on. Wide receivers, first-round pick types, uh, Corey Davis. Um, what do you think about him? I, I, a lot of people took him early. I know that we, have, we actually have some Western Michigan fans in the Roadwire office, which probably inflated his value a little bit. But um, he could get a lot of opportunity right out of the gate. Well, the Decker signing hurt him, right? Because that's just like another hundred targets that are just gone on a on a team that may, in, I mean, almost certainly will increase their passing tendencies because of signing Decker and drafting Davis, but is still never going to be the 600 attempt team, right? They may be 540 instead of 480, right? But they're never going to go to like 600. So you've got a modest, low to modest um, passing pass heavy team. It's more run heavy, and you've got lots of competition for targets. And you got a tight end who gets a lot of targets, <laughs> so it, it's it's not a good situation for him. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, Steve Gardner, I think his son of USA Today, Steve Gardner, his son goes to went to Central Michigan or Western Michigan, whatever. And uh, I don't follow college, obviously, and uh, just like raved about him. So Steve kind of reached for him in the FSTA draft because he said, you know, you, you, they watched games together and said this guy was just such a monster in college and made so many plays. So. There's upside because if you're that good, you know, it's sort of like the Mike Trout thing. He, Mike Trout was blocked. The Angels had five guys in the outfield. And, of course, if you're that good, you just sort of unblock. You just sort of run run over everybody. And I think there's a chance of that if he's that good. But, you you know, based on, like, what we think he's going to get, it's just hard to give him more than, like, you know, 80, 90 targets. All right. Then what about uh, Mike Williams with the Chargers? One thing I've learned from from uh, draft prep in the preseason is you got to know all your Williamses. <laughs> Since there's Tyrell Williams, another Williams, and get them all straight ahead of time. But what do you think about Mike Williams, this guy being the seventh overall draft pick from the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't I don't love him. I mean, he's already got like a back problem, which is bad. That means he's missed like off season stuff. Which whether or not you think that's important, maybe the coaches will start saying, well, he doesn't know. He's not the timing's not down with Rivers and. And they have, you know, Terrell Williams and Keenan Allen's coming back, you know, reportedly healthy, and they have the two tight ends. So um, I would take a flyer on him, but you know, it's, it it doesn't seem like he was like a. It seems like he's just a big, monstrously strong guy, but not necessarily that fast. Not a freak like you know a Kevin White or a Devontae Parker that has the size speed combo. And so uh, I, I haven't had, I haven't drafted him yet, even in a lot of M- MFLs. And then the last guy, rookie, I want to talk about was Zay Jones from the Bills. His name, he, you know, he got. I think he's been drafted in every league I've been in so far, which is a little surprising to me, just because I thought he'd be kind of on the fringe of roster ability in most formats. But um, do you share that upside thought about him? I mean, I don't think there's like big upside, but he's got that like, you know, I remember Steve Smith of the Giants caught a hundred balls one year, you know, because it was just that was he was like the guy that was there, and I think that you know Sammy Watkins. I think people should be justifiably concerned about the fact that he's, after a second surgery, still not full speed. He had surgery, I think, in January. Um, Zay Jones would maybe be the number one guy there out of the gate. Now, there's guys like Andre Holmes and Philly Brown, you know, like veteran scrubs that could end up pushing him for, for targets. But I think that's why they're drafting him. PPR, I think there's some, you know, there's maybe an 80 catch upside season there. Yeah, plus with the new coaching staff, they could be a little bit more pass happy throwing the ball than, than just you know total running I don't think they'll suddenly become like this pass oriented offense but even just a little upgrade in terms of the number of passes they attempt could uh, you know could pay off for the number two receiver in the offense um, alright so those are all the, all the position rankings I mean in the, in the rookies last thing really is just to talk about you know defense IDP kickers that kind of stuff I mean for me I'm always the guy that takes them with my last two picks almost regardless of format but one thing that, I, that you, know, you noted in the Vegas draft was you actually took, you know, I think you paid, well, I should say the Stopa auction, you paid 2 or $3, $2, I guess, maybe. For two, do- two bucks. Let's not, let's not exaggerate. <laughs> let's not disparage you. Yeah. And, you know, and what's the case there? I mean, because, look, I mean, I think anybody, I think anyone taking more than the last, one of the last two picks on a kicker or spending more than a dollar on a kicker is crazy, but um, you obviously okay. disagree. I'll make you a bet, okay, because I think, I, I think you're either going to decline this bet or you're going to lose this bet. So you're going to have to choose between these two options. I will bet you Justin Tucker gets 10 more points on the season in, in Stopa fantasy scoring, 10 more points than any kicker you want to pick. You pick any one kicker on waivers. Uh, and, you know, I'll give you any two because you would probably mix and match. 
Um, and, and it's not fair to just stick you with one kicker because that's not what would actually happen if you don't draft a kicker. I'll give you any two kickers, the higher of the two. And I will say whoever the higher of your two kickers are that are currently on the Stopa waiver wire, uh, plus 10, will not outscore Justin Tucker. And, 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 and I will tell you that whether it's 10 or 12, I mean, that's got to be worth a buck, right? Like, that's, that's got to be worth I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I take the bet because I don't know if I don't, I don't think the odds are really, I think the odds are you're in favor. But the question is more just like, it, you know, it, I agree with you that he's probably going to win that. But then is that worth that dollar, right? I mean, he might win by 30, though. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm saying I'll bet you on 10. But what, what I'm saying is that Justin Tucker is the greatest kicker in the history of the NFL. Last year, um, he made, I think he made 10 kicks from 50 plus. Those are five-point kicks in our scoring system. I'm sorry, no. He, yeah, he, made, he was 10 for 10. From 40 to 49, he was 14 for 14. Okay? He is the greatest kicker in NFL history. And the Ravens know that. So the Ravens, when other teams punt from the 38-yard line on 4th and 10, um, or go for it, rarely they should, but they don't, he gets a field goal attempt from 57 yards, and he drills it through the uprights. To me, you can't just get dogmatic about, well, always wait on kickers. Yeah, maybe there was a point where Mike Vanderjag was the best kicker and you always wait on kickers, right? But when Justin Tucker's the best kicker, we're talking about Kershaw. A lot of people say, oh, don't never take a pitcher in the first round. Yeah, but Kershaw. Never take a kicker to the last pick, but Justin Tucker. I think we need to adjust for what's actually going on because it's a, you know this is, he's playing a different game here and the Ravens know it. That, that's the big part. He's going to get more attempts than the normal kickers. Oh, I disagree. Though I think he has late bye, right? So I mean, that's one thing is that bye weeks don't really matter. I don't care about them. But you know, when you have a, a position that's a throwaway and you're never going to drop the guy, never going to keep him, that, that's actually that's actually a, a benefit, right? I mean, if the bye week's like super late, right? So um, that's one one thing to kind of look at if you're ever going to look at bye weeks. Because personally, I never look at bye weeks. The only time I ever look at bye weeks are if I'm taking a backup quarterback in a super flex or two quarterback league, you right. know, I'm getting my third quarterback or something like that. So maybe it comes into a factor, but even by then, you know, I still might pick up three guys in the waiver wire. And so it's a, it's moot or best ball, you know, if you're going to be in a best ball format, right. You know, and you're going to like, you know, take four, you know, running backs, you can't have like, you know, all four of them have the same bye week or something like that. Right. Or if you take three, two quarterbacks, you know, same thing. So, but that's about it. Otherwise I, I just pretty much ignore them because I just figure by the time you get to a bye week, your your half your roster is completely different anyway, so you, you just can't plan ahead of that. And the same with scheduling. Like I don't I don't look at strength of schedule. You know, I mean, seven weeks out. You know, we're looking at the playoff. I hear people guys say he's got a great playoff schedule the last three weeks. And it's like, who who the heck even knows? Who's even in the NFL well, at that point? Yeah, yeah, but but tell me this: if you were fifty fifty on a pick and you saw that a guy in the playoffs had the Colts, the Saints, the Colts, the Saints, and the Cowboys. I mean, it, one of those defenses might end up being good because we don't really know. But I think at the extremes, we can make an educated guess. I, I, my, I'm starting to think that, like they say, oh, kicker and defense is unpredictable. No, I think the top three or the top two and the bottom two or the bottom three, those are predictable. 10 versus 20, I think that's just – don't even look at it. It's not even worth looking at. But I think it's the same thing with strength of schedule. I think it's the same thing with kickers. Same thing with defense. It depends where the cutoff is. It could be just one guy, Tucker's worth it. Just two guys, Tucker and Goskowski. Same thing with defenses. I think the extremes are somewhat bettable. It could be. I just think that, you know, you can say 50-50. Well, sure, of course, right? They're equally tied. It's 50.001, but right. there's usually five other things that are like Right, right. You know, no, it's 50-50 is a cop-out. I'd say even <laughs> if it's like, you know, you're leaning toward one guy, I could make the switch if the, if the schedule were that soft. I just, I just, so many times, and we're, you know, where we're at right now in terms of defenses, you know, week six, week eight, it's just totally different, right? I mean, everyone knows this defense is going to be terrible, but, you know, one of them will probably be like very good. And <laughs> we'll be like, there's wow, a, it, defense, especially, turns over quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Any other, I mean, any other advice? I mean, we've kind of gone through the positions, we've gone through some strategies. I mean, what other just general advice would you get for somebody who's listening to this the first time and about to embark on their research and their first couple of drafts? Okay. I mean, if like you're a total novice, like stick to the cheat sheet, just deviate a few picks up and down. You know what I mean? Like make your own picks, but don't go too crazy. But if you're a veteran player, just take who you want. Okay. And even if you're a novice, screw it. Who cares? Screw the cheat sheet. Take who you want to take. I mean, don't do it for like Homer reasons. Don't, but I mean, if there's a player that you think is going to be really good, but the ADP says he's 
you know, three quarters of a round later, just take him. If you think he might be, not be there on the way back, don't take the guy you're supposed to. It's fantasy football. You're supposed to have fun. And the truth is these ADPs are just sort of – they're not that accurate in terms of you know, end-of-season results. So take the guy you want to take. Don't, you know, sometimes the more research you do, the more you screw yourself up. Just take the players you like. Obviously be informed if they're healthy or, and have a starting job. But you know, within a certain parameter, take them. Yeah, I agree. My, my mantra for fantasy football is you just never want to say, I had to take him. <laughs> you know, it's terrible. Like, no, that means you forced into a decision you didn't like. And, and usually if you have hunches or reads about players and you've done your research, you've watched the games, you know the team, like you said, if it's not for Homer reasons, you know, those, those pay off usually. So never feel like you're trapped and you're like, oh, God, he's eight on the rankings or six on the ADP. And even though I don't like him and this other guy's a little bit later, you know, forget that. Take who you want. All the best teams I've usually ever had are because I left the draft with players I liked, and that usually you know paid off one way or the other. So that would be my advice as well. All right, well, that's it for the podcast, Rafkid. Hopefully that helps out. Uh, you know, Just one more shout-out to our sponsor, Yahoo Fantasy Football. Again, check them out. You can Yahoo. Uh, let's see. It's, uh, URL. Again, just Yahoo Fantasy Sports in general. Um, and you can, you, know, you can check it out at rotowire.com slash yahoo. Um, for you know for uh, to sign up and get us some credit but again you know we use it in lots of formats we you know it's a it's a great uh, tool they're adding new stuff every year so check it out uh let's we'll do this again in a couple weeks and we'll talk to you later talk to you in a couple weeks pete all right bye all right i think that was good yeah